back to Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. How are things going for you, DJ? I'm going good. I'm going good. It's been a good week. It's been You're still good. traumatized from that cooking show, aren't you? <laughs> yes. I, I've been watching it all for, for, for the past few days and I'm, I'm, I'm very traumatized. I, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> There are some things man should never, the man should never watch, and I just did. Uh, so yeah, that, DJ's been watching what is it? America's Worst Cooks. Yep, yep. Worst. And I'm pretty sure at this point he never wants to see food ever again. <laughs> at at this point, I I I think I'm gonna just yeah <laughs> yeah I'm gonna not do any cooking myself. <laughs> worst cooks in America. Okay, I was close. <laughs> There are some there are some things Ben was never meant to watch, and I just watched it. This is worse than than those meme video, those TikTok videos of crazy things. Oh, uh, how about you? How about you, Professor? How was your weekend? Um, well, planned to go out for a picnic, and for the second time in two weeks, it got messed up. Uh, last time was due to the lockdown. This time because it rained. <laughs> I swear I'll get outside one of these days. <laughs> I can imagine, like, I bet you there must be some higher power going. Oh, professor's going. Is planning to go out. Must mess with the must must mess up with him. <laughs> what should I pick this time? Uh, we've done the lockdown. Uh, let's try rain. <laughs> yeah, wait. Sounds about right. <laughs> I wonder what's going to be the next. I bet you the next one will be like. Oh, uh, let's make him sick. Please, no. I've already been sick enough recently. So what else did you get up to besides uh, the picnic? Uh, not a lot. Mostly just chilling at home. Not getting arrested because of Apple's flawed uh, flawed child protection system. Uh, yeah. Well, it wouldn't happen to me because I don't use Apple devices. But, you know, <laughs> now Apple started doing it. It's just a matter of time. And, of course, I'm referring to Apple's new... Uh, plan to scan consumer devices for uh, child sex abuse images, uh, aka CSAM uh, for short. And I'm, to be absolutely 100% clear, like any reasonable person, I am completely against child abuse. But as a reasonable techie, I'm completely against this implementation. Okay, so, so what, are, what are the terms in, in, in regards to this whole thing? Uh, so within the last week and a half or so, Apple decided, hey, you know what we should do? We should make a uh, program that will help protect children by scanning photos that users take and running them through a um, neural network, although they being very clear that they're very unclear about how it works so far. But as far as... Uh, myself and other people have been able to determine it is using a neural network to scan photos that you take and determine whether they contain child abuse. So how, so how do they, are they going to manually look at everyone, every image, or is it just going to be an algorithm? Um, it's a, an algorithm, but it passes on the suspect material to be checked out by humans, it seems. Ooh. Now, the big concern I have here is that Apple has been promising privacy for so many years now, and now they're picking a system which is incredibly flawed. The, the thing is you can't 
having a secure phone is sort of at odds with Apple being able to do this to inspect for illegal material. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, Apple were very, uh, very vehement with with privacy in terms of uh, this what happened in San Antonio ye- years ago. Yes, the San Antonio terror attack. Uh, basically, a Apple, well, the FBI went to Apple with some phones that they'd obtained from some uh, from some terrorists um, and asked Apple to decrypt them so that the FBI could have a look at them. And Apple said, "No, we can't do that." And everyone was like, yay, Apple, because, you know, privacy and standing up to the FBI is considered a uh, good thing in the turkey circles. But at the same time, they're now deciding to open it all back up and let an AI check it. Sure, it then passes it on to a human. But the issue with having an AI check this sort of stuff um, you might be aware of a little thing called the YouTube algorithm <laughs> and have some idea of how absolutely terribly flawed the copyright um, strike system is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Striking people for things they don't own. Uh, well, for things they own. Striking people who didn't actually steal anything. So that's one big concern I have here because they're using what they call perceptual hashing. Which is where you take a um, you take a an image, run it through an algorithm, and the using a neural network, so machine learning, it decides whether the image contains content of a particular type or not. Uh, you might have noticed the Google Capture gives you the fun stuff like click every box with a bus. Oh yeah, the uh, verification kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that is actually um, a Google system for getting you to help them train their algorithm to detect buses and other stuff too. But here's the, here's the flaw, though. Like, even if Apple has uh, has made a beautiful AI to uh, to scan to scan images and stuff, you are there. But be bound to f- other people are bound to find out that there are other version. There are um, ways to get around it, though. Absolutely. So even assuming the AI could be perfect, which it won't be, and it's incredibly likely that it will pick up things ranging from the most innocent of innocent pictures through to, you know, if you're into sexting, I would not be surprised if it picked up uh, people sexting and occasionally sent a photo of a perfectly legal nude to Apple to be checked out, which not just nudes... uh, Though, um, any content that you take, the computer might decide this might be child abuse material and send it to Apple, at which point an Apple employee has a look at it and gets to have a look at your photo. Oh, and there's also the, and there's also the risk of whether the Apple, empl- whether the Apple employee will save that risky image yeah. for his own use as well and share and probably share it around to other, oh, it's a, it's a, Pandora's box, uh, we know it? that Apple does this because just recently there was a case about an Apple repairman, not an independent, which um, an official Apple certified repairman was breaking into people's phones and stealing sensitive photos. But by creating this backdoor that lets them do this, it also doesn't mean that you're not either you can keep everyone else out. That's the hard part. If you make a backdoor 
anyone can use it. They just need to figure out how to get in. And the other question so, would, and, and the question, other question would be, once they find that find that backdoor, how long will Apple? How long will it take before Apple starts to shut that down? Well, will Apple ever know that it's been hacked? The mm. um, every now and then we find out that some government has access to a way to hack a device that nobody had any idea was possible. And that's just because the governments are the ones that are keeping it secret. Like uh, a couple of years ago, the big NSA hack, um, a bunch of NSA hacking tools were leaked. And the uh, we found out that the NSA had been finding backdoors and things and then hiding them so that they could use them later. Oh, yeah, that's right. The shadow brokers, right? Yeah, shadow brokers. Yeah, I remember uh, Edward Snowden was talking about it at one point. Yeah, so the NSA got uh, had their tools stolen, and we found out that even though they'd found these issues years ago, they weren't reporting them, which means that any number of other countries of bad actors could have been using these uh, tools like their own versions of these tools to hack into people's computers. What we're seeing now in terms of Apple just bowing down to uh, pr- um, to privacy, uh, to destroying privacy and stuff, are we seeing, well, okay, this may sound a bit uh, melodramatic, uh, the end of days of internet privacy? Um, so people have been trying to take away internet privacy since the internet. And it's through diligent work by uh, foundations like the EFF, hackers, developers. And by hackers, I don't mean bad people. I mean people who code, because that's sort of the original term for hacker. It's just someone who liked to figure out how things worked and program. But um, it's gotten conflated with people who are bad and go and steal people's stuff. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Matthew Broderick. Remember that good old Hackers movie? Yes. Um, I don't think I've seen that one, but I do know of it. Yeah. So many cheesy 80s and 90s hacking movies, though. And that one, it- uh, War Games, um, Sneakers. But uh, for a long time, the US government actually considered encryption, so basically putting a password on your files to be a national security matter and restricted the export of encryption software overseas. Here's, a, here's another question. Is it time to, uh, like, is it time to um, create viruses for uh, in case if an organization were to come into your, hack into your phone kind of thing? You know, like, uh, how la- you know how landmines in wartime? <laughs> I think you've been watching too many sci-fi movies. I know, I know, but... But hey, but, uh, it's open, it's open the possibility. There is possibility. I though. suppose it is, but I don't think it's feasible. So you'd be running software on your computer that would detect an intrusion. That's already sort of antivirus uh, and firewalls would detect an intrusion and then reverse hack the person who was trying to hack you. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. I don't think that's feasible because there are so many different... Uh, hacks out there that you'd need to implement. So it's not just like you can say, do this to hack iPhones or do this to hack um, Windows. You need specific versions, um, specific software installed, 
hacking a secure or well yeah hacking any adversary requires you to do a, a decent amount of research into what's actually running on that system so you can work out the best way to get inside so i don't think that's um a feasible option mm. now the other concern that a lot of people have about this is that apple's making this tech to detect child abuse but what stops uh say lebanon from creating a scanner that picks up gay people uh what's stopping what's stopping the republican party from putting a, together a scanner that tracks black lives matter supporters what's stopping um with from going uh from going crazy yeah so any uh government could use this device to hack somebody's phone Apple says that they've got systems to prevent that. I don't believe it. Everything gets hacked. <laughs> there is no hack-proof system. The only system that cannot be hacked is one that you don't have connected to the internet at all. And that doesn't stop someone from breaking into your house and hacking it. Everything gets hacked. And, and that's a, that's the sad part about it, is, is that we need technology to survive, yet we are afraid of technology. <laughs> At the same time. Yeah, it's one of the great ironies that the more techy you are, the less likely you are to uh, want a smart home because everything gets hacked. <laughs> now, I wouldn't mind a smart home uh, system. There's a lot of um, interesting stuff that I could do with it, but I would also not want to do it with a cloud provider like Ring. Uh, I'd want to have it all running on my own server so that I have some idea of how it's working uh, and I can sort of personally know if anyone's trying to get in because everything gets hacked. If you put your computer on the internet, you will get poked almost immediately by someone trying to hack you. Mm. There are computers out there that have scanners running on them that just 24 seven poke every other computer on the network checking to see if it can be hacked. There's a website called Shodan, which is a good example of that. Um, you can go to Shodan and it will tell you what uh, weaknesses there are on your computer. Okay. Uh, so the website is me.shodan, S-H-O-D-A-N.io. And if I go there now, I can see my IP address, uh, my ISP, my country, my city. I can tell... Right, I can see there are open ports on my router, which uh, I believe are the, from my research, are the management ports that basically let the um, ISP set up your router remotely when you try to hook it up. Uh, as I understand it, these ones aren't too bad, but I'm not an expert in this. But that's just one website has all of this detail, all of this data about my network. Because everything gets hacked, and all, and also uh, with all that info, they can also be sold to the uh, to whatever country as well. Yeah, um, what what we've seen is companies that develop hacks, uh, less scrupulous developers will develop a hack and then sell it to a government, uh, so the government can use it. Because everything gets hacked. <laughs> Have I made my point yet? <laughs> So but what happens? So 
what happens to organizations like WikiLeaks and all those? You reckon they'll die? They'll they'll uh, they'll they'll turn into there'll be nothing now because of everyone because now that the, now that the, their secrets of how they get information is revealed. No, no, I don't think so. And what I found out the other day is there's a company um, I don't remember which one is monitoring keystrokes. Every single key that you press for people who are working from home so that they can uh, keep an eye on, you know, people trying to steal data for competitors. But I don't think that's going to stop WikiLeaks or any other leaks. All you can do is make it harder, but they still happen. So I don't think this is a great system. There's one that I, I kind of accept because it's in Windows and I need Windows for my games. But I kind of think it's better than this because what it does, it's not a perceptual hash where you analyze the image and then decide what's in it. It's where you convert an image to a number, basically. So imagine if um, you took uh, an image and converted and just wrote down the color value of each pixel in a line. That's a kind of hash. It's a very simple one. Uh, but for a sufficiently uh, detailed image, well, you know, you're only going to have one image of that particular uh, thing that is going to be exactly the same. Every other image, let's say you take a photo of a mountain, every other image, the clouds are going to be somewhere different. The sun's at a different angle. So you can identify that two files are different very easily using just a regular hashing method. And that's what Microsoft does at the moment. Uh, so Windows has a built-in system that scans um, scans files and reports to the FBI. I'm not sure if it's just in the US. Uh, I'm just going to see if I can find a source on that. Photo DNA is the system. So what they do is take uh, known, uh, known abuse material convert it into a hash, and then computers have hash, the hash data on them. And it's kind of fingerprint. If you download a known, uh, known abuse image, it will compare it to that hash and determine that, yes, this is the same image, and then, uh, you know, raise the flag. I think that's uh, a significantly better option than what we're seeing from Apple because... Um, there's a lot less room for error and there's a lot less room for someone from Apple to be looking through your photos and saving them for themselves or for uh, anything else happened. What happens now? I think about it, what happens if a Microsoft employee takes a photo using his iPhone uh, because Microsoft doesn't make phones anymore. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like you can enforce people to use Microsoft phones. What happens if he's using his iPhone, takes a photo of some confidential information, it gets flagged to Apple. Apple now has a copy of Microsoft confidential information. And so, in summary, I think we can't uh, trust that Apple will produce a secure system that cannot be hacked and cannot be perverted to track down gay people or political dissenters uh, so the um, we can't trust that an algorithm, a neural network algorithm, will produce uh, files that well, so produce data and results that are accurate. Because we know that neural networks are amazing. 
but they're not perfect. And that's why Apple says they have the uh, the second step of having a human inspector. But they're also, in a way, putting those human inspectors at risk. Because uh, have a look at what happens to Facebook moderators who have to look at this stuff all the time. Yeah, they have the PT- I remember they had a PTSD and whatnot because of all the images they've seen. Yeah, it happens to... Uh, to Facebook moderators, it happens to Twitter moderators, it happens to even happens to game devs who are making particularly graphic games like uh, Mortal Kombat was having an issue where some of their developers were uh, coming away with mental issues from watching videos of beheadings and stuff. He, okay, but here's the thing with Mortal Kombat though, right? The, what, uh, what, what, the, the thing with Mortal Kombat is, like, in the game, like, can, let's be real here. Can you can an actual human being punch a punch a hole in a person's chest? That's not the issue. Yeah, I, the I, issue I get... is that the people who are making the game are watching videos of people dying horribly, so that they can make more accurate animations. So it's nothing to do with the game. I mean, yes, if the game wasn't as graphic, they probably wouldn't be looking at the images. But the problem is that the uh, developers have to look at real-life videos of real-life people getting real-life beheaded so they can make a game, and they're getting real-life PTSD. Ah, okay, I see what you mean. Also, uh, by the way, with the uh, Facebook and PTSD, there was a recent ruling that uh, it will pay $52 million to the moderators. Good. PTSD can mess you up for life. Yeah, and it also happens to detectives who are investigating these cases. Um, I understand that most police departments have a system where they rotate people off every now and then because they understand just how traumatizing it is to witness this stuff and to have to deal with it on a daily basis, and they uh, want to protect their employees. Uh, here we go. Uh, they say also here each moderator will receive a minimum of a thousand bucks and will be eligible for additional compensation if they're diagnosed with PTSD or other related conditions. Good start. Although that's uh, interesting. Setting aside 52 million bucks and having a minimum of $1,000 payout, uh, can we from that infer the number of employees that Facebook has? Uh... So what's the bet anyone actually gets to see that additional compensation? (laughs) They Facebook said, has some pretty good lawyers. Oh, yeah. They said here the settlement covers 11,250 mods, and lawyers in the case believe that there are as many as half of them may be eligible for extra pay. Huh. But here, here's the thing with Apple, though. Like, um, it also depends on where are the moderators from. Like, let's say, for example, if Apple decides to go, let's let's be cheap and outsource the moderators. Oh, man, that's... That's going to be interesting. Yeah. That's the other question. Does this apply to only US moderators or are they having to do this worldwide? I don't know. We have to look into that. We're getting a bit off topic there, though. Yeah. So anyway, as I was saying, I don't trust Apple to make a secure system that cannot be uh, hacked and cannot be perverted. I don't trust neural networks. I don't like snakes or spiders. Uh, (laughs) No, I've got the line wrong. I was going for, um, have you ever seen Bob's Burgers? Uh, used to, like a long time ago, yeah. Okay, going for, uh, for Gene's song about uh, being scared of snakes. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and I don't trust that, you know, um, Apple's employees who are monitoring the system won't do the wrong thing. Because we, we know they do the wrong thing when they have phones that are broken down and have to repair them. That, that actually, that, that poses a very interesting question. Okay, so you say about the whole repair thing. How will this affect the whole right to repair movement? I don't think it will at all, but the reason it ties into right to repair is because an argument used by companies that are anti-right to repair is often uh, stuff like, how can you trust the person repairing your, um, repairing your computer? How do you know they're not going to steal your stuff? And what we found out is that we can trust them uh, just as about as far as we can trust the Apple people. So Which is not much. <laughs> yeah. So can you see this happening in other systems? I know we talk, we've been talking about Apple, but can you see this happening in other systems like Android? Yeah. I think once Apple does it, uh, the, there will be a lot of pressure on Microsoft and Google to do their own version because it's an unfortunate fact of life that people are horrible. People are bastards. People do the wrong thing all the time. And there's a lot of pressure on people to find ways to prevent it and to protect pe- protect victims. But the... Uh, which makes it hard to argue against because people say, uh, you know, why do you... Why are you against this? Do you want children to get abused no i don't i know people who have been victims of childhood abuse and it's terrible i just don't think this is the way to solve it but i'm very glad that we're seeing such a big backlash against this because i think a few years back we probably would have seen more people saying that using the why do you uh why do you why are you against this uh, are you a child abuser argument I think we're at the point now where trust has been eroded enough that people don't believe Apple when they say it can't be hacked. No, no. Well, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, (laughs) I thought this one might go a bit long. I didn't think it would go that long. So luckily we picked some shorter ones for the next next few topics. I'm very happy about the next one. Uh, Much more cheerful than the last. The Australian government has finally finally listened to what they've been told for so many years that we need to support the games industry because it makes boatloads of money. <laughs> well, that the, okay, hey, boat, I, I disagree. I, I, I would dispute the fact about boatloads of money because, come on, like most uh, most games nowadays are kind of hitting the, uh, the, the economic dead end. Well, the games industry keeps growing every year, and it made $250 billion in the past year, which probably inflated a bit because of the pandemic. Uh, I mean, look at how hard it was to get a copy of, um, of Animal Crossing or Ring Fit Adventure for a while. Yeah. <laughs> like, Animal Crossing had its best sales ever because everyone was at home, and it, you know, perfect um, coincidence came out at exactly the right time. <laughs> so the good news is we've finally got some uh, tax breaks, a 30% digital games tax offset um, as part of the government's new digital economy strategy. Unfortunately, it doesn't do a lot for indies because they need to have a minimum spend of half a million Aussie bucks. 
that's a few more bucks than uh, most indies I know are spending. But the good news is it might bring back some of the big companies, the Sega, the Nintendo. Um, we used to have, you know, it used to be really thriving considering the limitations we have in Australia. Uh, then um, a few, there were a few big hits in the early 2010s, starting with the global financial crisis. And then the government decided to cancel some of the uh, funding and tax cut, tax offsets and all of that for the industry. And all of the remaining big companies decided, no, we're going away. It's not financially viable to do that here anymore. Um, But then there were a couple of like indie Australia studios that that were that became big, like uh, the the guys that made Fruit Ninja, for example, Half Brick. Yes. Yeah, we have some big games that have come from Australia. Uh, Fruit Ninja, Hollow Knight, uh, Untitled Goose Game, which is incredible. <laughs> it's a great game. Um, there are great games coming out of Australian indies, but there's no great games coming out of Australian AAAs because we have none. But the uh, the thing is, it's a lot easier to get your start in the industry in a big company and then go and found your indie later. It's difficult, really difficult, to just go and make an indie from scratch. I've tried it. It uh, went not great. Uh, Ended up, turned out, free programmers can't do art, and we had no money for doing art, so we kind of fell apart uh, and realized this isn't working. Let's try something different. Can you imagine, like, uh, you you guys using Fiverr? Just to go, hey, we need we need an artist. Yeah, that was an option we considered, but then uh, it's been a few years. But if I remember correctly, one of the team members got a um, happened to get a pretty good job offer, and yeah, so we just sort of split up. But uh, I think if you come out of a company with experience and money, then you have a better chance of being able to fund found an indie. A lot of our big indies of the early 2010s were people who had left a uh, previous major AAA studio. Like, I remember going to symposiums and they'd have a talk by various big figures and the people would be like, so here's my uh, my history. Up until 2010, I worked for um, some big company and now I'm doing indie games. And... There were a lot of them who ended up that way. But where do you end up going if you can't get a job in your country in the industry that you want to work in? If you can get a job overseas, you go there and you leave and maybe never come back. And that's experience that's leaving the country. You probably went to uni. That's a whole bunch of money that's leaving the country. You're not paying taxes in Australia anymore, so that's leaving the country. But... I think this is uh, working, going to work quite well uh, based on how optimistic the IGEA are. See, I, I, these, are, these are all promising, but I don't know, the, the cynic in me feels like this is just like an election sweetener kind of thing. Well, the election's not for, um, you know, most of a year. So this has been in the works since the start of this year. So it's entirely possible, but I... Um, I don't know that it would come into effect soon enough because it's not happening until July next year. 
and uh, then it's going to take some time, obviously, to ramp up. So um, I don't know if it would actually have that much of an effect. But on the other hand, we currently have a Liberal government, and it's mostly been the... To be clear to anyone who's not from Australia, our Liberal government is actually our right-wing party. <laughs> because names mean nothing. And our left-wing parties, Labour and the Greens, are the ones who are actually investigating this sort of stuff over the past few years. So um, maybe it, maybe you're right, and to be cynical, and it is the Liberals trying to poach some uh, Labour and Greens voters by saying they support the games industry. I don't know. That's politics. Mm. And it's much nicer news than finding out that uh, literally everyone in the AAA studios is a horrible person. Uh, with Ubisoft last year and Activision Blizzard this year, it's gotten to the point where when I see a headline about a studio, I'm thinking, who now? <laughs> was it, t- what was it yesterday? Amazon and their, and, and their level of insanity? Amazon's uh, game dev team? Yeah, how they were stealing oh. ideas or something like that. Okay, yeah. And uh, potentially blowing up your graphics card. Aww. There was a controversy a couple of weeks ago about the uh, their game New Lands, I think. Um, apparently, it could blow up your 3090 because of a bug in the engine. Yeah, it's fairly rare that software will cause hardware to go boom, but it happens. Uh, moving along uh, quickly from that, we have Aquaman DJ. <laughs> so You're a I fan can't... of the Aquaman, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> fish I, I person. <laughs> he talks to whales and stuff. He's the, the, a hero somehow. The most useless superhero nowadays. The most useless superhero in the Justice League. It's like what's yeah. All you'd have to do is go to the desert, and he'd be useless. <laughs> oh no! Even better, just go to space, and he'd be useless. He's <laughs> like, where's yeah. the? Are there any fish in the sea in the, in the space? No. <laughs> uh, okay. I just so... love that when you when you really uh, narrow it down to just one or two things about each hero, you've got like Batman, he's rich and does uh, karate. Superman's like super strong because he's from another planet. Um, <laughs> Flash <laughs> goes really fast. Yeah. Aquaman talks to fish. Ah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> So why does he think that superheroes are art, and why is he wrong? <laughs> so he, so he did an interview where he was give, was posed a question about Martin Scorsese saying that oh superhero uh, movies are are, are just are, are just like candy basically, and he so he goes on to say uh, he goes on to say uh, sorry for, sorry for the pause um. And another pause there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to... Uh, he's try- okay, so he says this. He tries to compare genre preferences to music taste. So he goes... So with the quote, It's like how people say that music is poppy and this music cool. But you know how hard it is to just to get your music out there for people to hear? It's all subjective. I try it's not to... It's both easier any- and harder to get your music out there now. Oh yeah. It used to be yeah. if you could get it published, people would hear it because you'd kind of made it and people would play it on the radio and all of that. 
But these days, you can easily publish on the internet. But then how do you get people to listen to it? You've switched yeah. the, uh, the issue. It used to be hard to publish, easy to listen to. Now it's easy to publish, hard to listen to. R- remember when uh, MySpace was a thing and people would be discovered through MySpace? Yeah. That was a fun time. <laughs> so, um, and, and it, so he continues on. So he believes that comic books are like Greek mythology, as he further explains. So yeah, superhero Nerd. movies. <laughs> so yeah, superhero movies are bubblegum, but they're like Greek mythology. They have good and evil and heartbreaking moments. Uh, I don't yeah. know why he's picked Greek mythology because lots of stuff has good and evil and heartbreaking moments. I guess maybe Greek mythology is sort of one of the older ones that is related. But here's the problem, though, like, with with the uh, superhero movies, okay? So superhero movies have uh, are like Hollywood trends. They have a rise and they have a fall, okay? And these come in about 10-year increments, per se. So, here, okay, here's what, I'll, I'll, here's what I put in the superhero movies in four different phases. So you got the phase one, and this is where the phase is still beginning to uh, beginning, and you have a fair few hits, but there there ain't too many ma- there ain't too many mounts for the uh, for the money to flow in, so, uh, because it's still ill defined and still unproven. Uh, so superheroes is in the nineties and uh, uh, has that similar phase to film noir in the thirties, when it was the likes of Burton, Batman, X Men, Spider Man, and more. But in two thousand m- more, but in two thousand eight. A certain film called Iron Man blasted in the studios and flipped the script, which brings me to Phase Two. You've got. Did the you gold- write this? Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. Well, not really write it, but I saw it. And I did. Oh. But um, yeah. So Phase Two. Okay, this is the golden year. So this is where all the great films are experiencing, experiencing this, and how much, how most of the money is getting printed in Hollywood. So the public want extravagant musicals. Hollywood give us more Julie Garden, and while westerns ruled the world, John Wayne was the name of every lips, and the Avengers is the icon of of our of the now. Which is why a lot of people have predicted the Avengers Endgame would be the end of the golden years. Then came the unspecified virus of unknown origin and the breakdown of the distribution model of Hollywood. But two years in, uh, with the Marvel's uh, first flop under its belt, aka Black Widow, a line of Marvel series that went nowhere like Marvel Inhumans. Trust me, I've seen that series and it was... It, it didn't go anywhere. It was, it was trying to tie that thing up, but it didn't go anywhere. And the upcoming Shang-Chi go, drawing angry yawns that, that university students at a late-night lecture, uh, it might be kind of time to admit that the golden years are done and gone. So then we go... But that's not bad news when Phase 3 rocks in, and Phase 3 is the deconstruction phase. It's, the, it's a tale as old as the Karens, and every time a genre works up a ladder, directors and ultimately audiences get bored of it and demand something different, which is a creative cue to repackage, reboot, and reimagine the original concept with the cringy incumbent political messages in- attached. In short, uh, put in a, new sh- a shiny new wrapping paper to distract you from the fact that you got, a new- you got your ass regifted. Wondering why you see politics in movies are more present across the screens like rainbows and an acid trip? Yeah! Yeah, you you understand why. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, superhero movies are st- were getting old, and the only way to cultivate the illusion of complexity in a town where the where there are more 
where the depth of a sausage dog was to wedge some social messages in the medium. To be fair, um, Marvel has a habit of just making the same movie over and over again. Oh, yeah. yeah. When was the last Marvel movie that actually tried to do something different? Mm. They've all got the same tone. They've all got the same general plot structure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got the same tone, general plot structure. I think it comes down to the casting and the special effects. That's how they hide it. They've all got to have dumb jokes every two minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, that's how they, they, they've, it's, it's say, like, let's say Doctor Strange, for example. Yeah, you have, um, the story sounds, like, predictable, like the, the first superhero, uh, a superhero who's starting up his journey and yada, 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 okay? But uh, they don't really follow the, the, uh, the story. They look at the cast and the amazing uh, CGI that was involved in it. But, um, yeah, so... With the whole political messaging, we've seen this in the Westerns in the late 60s, which proves that deconstruction phase is a way of degenerating onto outright propaganda, where the main character is in a cape, whether the main character is in a cape or a cowboy hat. So superhero well, movies... I don't think that's entirely true, because I think Westerns have a very clear political message anyway. The hero of the Western yeah. is always a good guy. There's like... The vast majority of Western movies are about some hero cowboy going and saving the day. There's no anti-hero Westerns that I've seen. Until Clint Eastwood came in. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yes. There's a few Clint Eastwood ones that have sort of anti-heroes, but there's still, I think, um, a lot of, uh, particularly the older ones. I've seen some of the older public domain ones, and I feel like there's a... a a lot of morality stuff there. Like, uh, it's the Wild West, and, the, you know, there's always a brothel in a Wild West town. Yeah. yeah. But um, the cowboy never seems to uh, be interested in that. Mm. So I think that's both a, a limitation of the time, you know, Hayes Code and all that. Um, Hayes Code? Yeah. Uh, applied to films as well. Or it did, but it's a different name. I... I don't remember what it was called, but in the uh, the 30s and 40s, you know, movies had to have... Um, well, you know what the Hayes Code is, right? No, I don't actually. Okay, I kind of assumed you did. Basically, the uh, Hayes Code uh, referred to a set of morals that had to be in in movies of the time. Oh, yeah, I, I, see, I see it now, yeah. The, yeah, uh... stuff like uh, you can't beat cops you know good guy has to win um so you're not allowed to show cops being defeated uh the um oh, here we go uh point uh, i see i see some of the some of them um ridicule of the clergy um any interfere uh, uh illegal traffic in drugs uh pointed profanity by either title or lip that includes the words of God, Lord, Jesus, Jesus Christ, uh, hell, SOB, damn, uh, and any other vulgar language. Um. Yeah, so movies from the, the 50, 30s and 40s um, during the Hayes era had a specific uh, specific requirements that they had to meet about morality, uh, the... Um, the same sort of moral panic that led to prohibition, I think. Yeah. Hmm. So no swearing, no adultery, no uh, 
bad guys winning, yada yada yada. Yeah, but uh, but, but, then, but then again though, like when you uh, with the whole haze code, like I, I I mean that code is very out out of touch. It's sense. yeah, very um, outdated by modern standards. Obviously, it's uh, you know eighty ninety years old now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but okay. But that being said, though, like that being said, even though it's old and stuff, like we love a good we we love a good like a uh, a good guy versus bad guy story, and the good guys always win. Like yeah, yeah. sure. That we like we we do want some complexity at times, but like the like it doesn't have to be this like oh I'm gonna be this very edgy guy and I like like yeah, you don't need to break the haze code to have an interesting story um and interesting conflict but it does let you do more complex characters yeah so breaking bad would not have been made under the haze code i think uh because it shows um you know up until the last season there's a well even if you cut out like a lot of the murder scenes and stuff um and it does show drug use as a negative, I think. The um, the show is pretty clear that drug use is not, you know, great. Um, but I think there's a lot of um, things in there that would have gotten it banned under the Hayes Code. Yeah. Uh, but the- it lets uh, Walter White be a very complex character. Yeah. And, and uh, so there are some recent superhero movies that have hit that phase as well. Like, uh, okay... Uh, they've all de- so all the superhero movies like Joker, Brightburn, Logan, and even Birdman all deconstructing the superhero sandwich, putting it all back together, and calling it a pizza. But um, yeah, uh, that being said though, like there is still money to be made in this phase, and audiences have, have fired their cash at Joker. But at this point, um, the superhero genre is kind of hitting a brick wall. I think it's saturated. It's like zombies were. Uh, you know, ten years ago. Oh yeah. There's so many things that it's just saturated. Nobody wants to see more superheroes. Obviously, oh, yeah. they do because they're still raking in tons of money. But I think, um, you know, sure they're still in. Uh, they're often still enjoyable to watch. But I think it's uh, a saturated market. And it, it, interestingly, that's uh, that's where Phase Four comes in. That's just the decline. So. Death comes to all genres, a few prominent bombs in, but it's obvious where this train is going. And after a five-year period, pictures are, pi- are pinched down the cheap or simply scraped on, uh, scraped off the sale to pu- uh, perch their picture projects, while the studios look into the next carcass to plunder. Uh, this was experienced in 1955 with film noir, westerns after the 1970s, and with the superhero genre that stirred in the early noughts and flowed into 2010. It does suspiciously apropos that 2020 would wind up the official termination date, which begs the question, what becomes of Batman and the boys after they lost their meal ticket? And fortunately, here history is also an able guidepost. If prior trends are any indication we got another 5 to 10 years of success, but not but not so superhero, so successful superhero flicks on the horizon followed the gradual black slide, uh, black slide um, irrelevance. Uh, kind of like the movie industry at large now, when you think about it. And uh, what replaces it? Remakes. Professor? You so alive? you reckon that sooner or later we're going to start seeing remakes of Iron Man and uh, like all of the 
early Marvel movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, your favorite, my favorite feckless, witless remakes of all your favorite properties ladled with wondrous veneer of ugly crap CGI instead of uh, infinitely more convenient convincing practical effects of the 80s it's coming and it's and worse is still streaming services subsume our property rights one cringy pc revision at a time like the removal of michael jackson bit from the simpsons all that cumbersome physical optical media this you thought you would never you would never need again turns out you did even if all even if you want to sail the high seas uh here's a here's a scary thought most of the stuff is ripped out from the streaming services version But whether it happens this year or next year, next decade, all things pass. And believe it or not, uh, with all the antagonism of of the audience, a lot of people are not washed by the uh, by by this. So, as a nerd, it's nice to live in a time when Iron Man was finally a household name. (sighs) Okay. Yeah, but uh. Anyway, I think you've digressed a long way. I know, but uh, okay. But, so, okay, why so, does he think there are? He thinks there are, in terms of, like I said, there are, like in terms of Greek mythology. But um, he's also is uh, Greek mythology art. Um, is it though, like the original Greek mythology? Is it art or is it? I mean, it's religious material, but. I mean, it's like, they... it's, it's like the Bible, like, you know, we ha- we always hear stories of Samson uh, t- uh, tearing down two pillars of two pillars to break down a building like that's a. Yeah. Those stories. Interesting. Uh, interesting thing to have a think about. Are those stories um, the pulp fiction of several thousand years ago? Now, I'm going to probably get myself in a lot of trouble for just accidentally implying that the Bible is fiction. (laughs) But what I mean is these stories, um, were they told the same way that that we tell superhero stories now? I'm not sure. I need to go find myself an anthropologist or something. (laughs) But um, Momoa also uh, continues with with his interview in terms of uh, in terms of superhero movies, that there are some heartbreaking considerations to to, to put into account, like uh, for example, people losing their jobs if they if they stop making these blockbusters. As he shared, as Momoa himself shared some realization that superhero films employ a lot of people plying a trade that's suited to fantasy epics. So then we get into an economic argument: Should we prop up an industry because it creates jobs? Uh, I mean, the market is, I mean, the market is there for, like, fantasy movies. Like, it's there. But how big of a, mar- how big is the market in actuality? I don't know. Yeah. That, I haven't that's a counted problem. it. <laughs> yes. Um, is it the responsibility of the studios to make sure that they pivot to a new genre at the right time so that people don't lose their jobs? Probably. Uh, because that would also imply that it's their responsibility to make money, and obviously, if they stop making money, people lose jobs. Yeah, but I think um, we really need to move along. So, was there oh. anything else that Momoa said? Uh, Momoa's also said that. Uh, second, Momoa has also said for uh, he's not for he's not someone that uh, that gets hired to play in a lot of cinema, but being able to do a superhero movie, I can make. I can make a movie about something I really care about, he says. 
And Momoa continues, I have a vision for the whole totality of Aquaman. There are environmental issues that I can I can put into it. So when you're going, oh yeah, it's, it's just this popcorn movie I like. Well, I get to open people's eyes to things that are important to me. Which basically every piece of media does, consciously or not. Everything that everyone has ever created is filtered through their own uh, experiences and their own thoughts. So him saying that is just explicitly saying that... I want to uh, lecture the audience or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, that does feel like it could be the case because it's possible to do it without feeling lecturery. Um, is this going to turn out like the movie An Inconvenient Truth? Um <laughs> where it's literally just a two-hour lecture about climate change? <laughs> or is it going to turn out about... Um, uh, I can't think of any good examples right now for um, movies that have talked about climate change without being preachy. 20, uh, 2012? Uh, no, that wasn't climate change. Uh, that was neutrinos mutating, which makes no physical sense whatsoever. <laughs> What about um okay, what about uh day after tomorrow? Yeah. That's um haven't seen it, but it is um uh from what I'm aware of just a disaster movie where the disaster happens to be that the world is ending because of <laughs> climate change. Uh Geostorm actually now that I think about it, oh, got yeah. a bit preachy because that one specifically the um the Geostorm disaster was caused by weather control satellites. And uh, at the end, um, they've got uh, uh, some astronauts looking down at the Earth and the, there's no pollution in the sky because it's all been washed away by the storm. And it's all like, oh, look, it's so beautiful when we don't pollute. <laughs> um, oh, no kidding, sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> There's lines like that that are really preachy and cringy in some movies. Also, yeah. Volcano. At the end of Volcano, um, everyone's covered in ash, and this little kid's like, look, we're all the same colour! <laughs> like, yeah, mate, we can see that, but there's ways to show that without... Um, that to show nice. that, Yeah. Oh, you can show that colour doesn't matter by... <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, right? Like doing that. Yeah, here's the thing with superhero movies, right? Like, the problem with the superhero movies nowadays is that you don't get any more of the whole, okay, we're going to present a fun story with interesting ideas, and we're going to allow the audiences to form their own opinion. Well, that's because they're just pulp fiction. That's they're not supposed to be... Um, they're not open for interpretation. There are movies that are open for interpretation, but they're not, you know, popcorn movies like Marvel stuff. So I don't think um, I don't think they're a great uh, option for this argument. Yeah, yeah. They they either end up I think with popcorn movies either you stay away from the issue or you end up really um, really preachy. <laughs> oh man, I, I I'm having the sudden I'm having a mental image. Can you imagine Greta Thunberg in a Marvel movie going like, okay guys, <laughs> okay Thanos, now that you're back. We want you to stop. Uh, we want you to stop climate change <laughs> with the Infinity Stones well, again. I mean, wasn't the reason he killed everyone to stop climate change or something? Uh, he's, like, he, not climate change specifically, but uh, it, it, to stop people from dying because they 
overpopulation, which itself causes climate change and is part of why people will die. Yeah, he was. Uh, he basically for, uh, foresaw that uh, his planet will die out because of overpopulation and uh, resource and dwindling resources. So yeah, he decided so, to kill his own people. Yes, he. You know, that's the thing. He wouldn't do that because he's gone nuts and thinks the solution is to kill people rather than solve the issues. Uh, but anyway, we are way over time. So moving on to a quick ad break and then our shout out. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. For our shout-outs, on the 9th of August this year, we have the 5th anniversary of No Man's Sky. The launch was an absolute disaster because it was unfinished. Uh, basically, felt like you were playing an indie game beta or alpha, <laughs> um, and didn't have things that were promised, like network, like multiplayer. The developers said there would be multiplayer at launch, and instead of admitting that they were wrong, uh, Sean Murray tried to pretend that uh, it was still in there because. People met up on a planet, like managed to get to the same planet within a day, and uh, someone brought it up to him, and he's like, "Wow, mind blowing!" And <laughs> yeah, uh, still, I'm impressed that they managed to turn it around. But that being said, though, the damage was done already. Like, I okay, me personally, I saw the trailer as well when it first came out. I was going, "This will be a cool game." Yeah, very. Cool I game. actually. Um, fell for it myself i thought there was a bit of bullshit going on when sean murray said um that they had to invent new elements to make the color of the sky different that's not how you make games you don't simulate <laughs> the entire bloody Rayleigh scattering to determine the color of the sky on your game planet you just paint it <laughs> you pick a color and make it that color you're not simulating like atomic interactions. That's stupid. But I didn't think it would be as bullshit as it was. Yeah, oh, I, I saw Angry Joe's um, review on it, and he was really cheesed off with that game. Yeah, quite happy that they did turn it around and make a pretty good game, though. Um, on the same day, we had the 25th anniversary of Escape from L.A., which is the 1996 uh, John Carpenter movie about Kurt Russell trying to es escape from Los Angeles, uh, co-starring Steve Buscemi, Stacey Keach, Bruce Campbell, and Pam Greer. You know, I realized that uh, Pam Greer looks a bit familiar, and I thought she... Um, uh, I looked into it, and she looks a lot like Lana from Archer, particularly yeah. in the flashbacks where Lana has the 70s hair. <laughs> now, is this one you were telling me uh, Pam plays a transsexual? Uh, hang on a second. Yeah, uh, hang on. Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, anyway, what my point about Lana was that 
There are probably more people who know of Pam Greer from being a Lana lookalike than know of Lana as being inspired by Pam Greer. Um, but yes, I think you were telling me the other night that Pam Greer plays a transsexual and um, had to wear a pair of socks down her pants. <laughs> I saw that. When I first saw that, I just went, what? <laughs> yeah, cheap costuming. You couldn't afford a cup or anything. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, at the start of the film, Kurt Russell wears his 15-year-old costume from Escape from New York, uh, which still fits, and the film was set in 2013. <laughs> On the 10th of August, we had the 60th anniversary of Operation Ranch Hand, which was the US operation to deforest uh, South Vietnam using Agent Orange. So, inspired by uh, British, a British program during the Malayan Emergency, the U.S. sprayed defoliants over uh, 20 million U.S. gallons of defoliants over South Vietnam to deprive the Viet Cong of food and vegetation cover. And unfortunately, it turns out that uh, Agent Orange is kind of really bad for you. And there are a lot of people there suffering from cancer and mutations. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've I've seen some of the uh, pictures of uh, uh of babies that were suffering from Agent Orange poisoning, and oh, uh, it's terrifying. Yep. And on the twelfth of August, twenty twenty one, we have the fortieth birthday of the IBM fifty one fifty. This was the first IBM personal computer. It's sort of um these early IBM personal computers are sort of the the root of the computer family tree for home computers. Uh, the cheapest configuration started at $1,565 in 1981 money, so that's a boatload of money. Compared to uh, IBM's Data Master, because IBM was a business, international business machines, they created uh, computers for companies, really mainframes and all of that. Their previous cheapest computer cost 10000 they also used Charlie Chaplin's Little Tramp character to advertise the um, advertise the computer. <laughs> Remember how Apple uh, Apple used to do like famous historical figures to pro- promote their products? I don't think I do. Like what was it? Uh, they uh, I remember they were using uh, pictures like Gandhi and um, MLK and put like think differently. Okay, that's pretty. Um... <laughs> That's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, really? I, Apple, really? Yep. Uh, for our remembrance, on the 10th of August 2010, we have David L. Wolper, American television and film producer responsible for Roots, The Fawnbirds, North and South, LA Confidential, and the 1971 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He also helped produce the uh, opening and closing ceremonies of the. XXIII Olympiad, uh, the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. For this, he won a Jean Herschel Humanitarian Award. In 1974, one of his crews filming a National Geographic uh, documentary about the Australopithecus at Mammoth Mountain Ski Area crashed a... Um, were killed in a plane crash, killing 35 people, including 31 Wolper crew members. The film segment was recovered and broadcast in the series Primal Man. In 1998, he was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame and has a uh, 
star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He died of heart disease and complications of Parkinson's at 82 in California. And for our famous birthday, we have Charles Darrow on the 10th of August, 1889, who modified the uh, design of a game called The Landlord's Game, invented by Lizzie Maggie. He became the first millionaire game designer, uh, but only ever paid out 500 bucks to Lizzie. He's incorrectly credited as the original inventor of the game, which uh, he later sold to Parker Brothers. Now, you might know this game better as Monopoly. (laughs) What a crazy game that was. Yeah. Which, funnily, um, funny that it was originally created to criticize capitalism (laughs) and ended up up creating uh, one of the biggest capitalism successes on Earth. Was <laughs> well, uh, to quote Chief Wiggum, how do those Parker brothers sleep at night? Although he does have a uh, commemorative plaque in on the boardwalk near the corner of Park Place, which uh, refers to the American design for the um, the board game. I think the one we're more familiar with in Australia is the English design. Yeah. In 1973, uh, Parker brothers sued Ralph Anspach for creating anti-monopoly which I'm assuming from the name was uh, intended to criticise Monopoly. It's not the most, like, balanced game. It can be fun to play, but it's not balanced or... Like, once you get into more serious board gaming, it's kind of funny how many people hate Monopoly. But, uh, wrapping up with our events of interest, we have on the 10th of August 1960, the film Dinosaurus, (laughs) starring Ward Ramsey and Christina Hansen, with the plot that... Prehistoric creatures um, are unleashed on the population of a Caribbean island after some undersea explosions. Freed from his watery tomb is a friendly Neanderthal man who befriends a local orphan. The boy and Neanderthal team up to battle the dinosaurs. (laughs) Originally, the film was intended to star Steve McQueen. The dinosaurs were filmed using stop motion and puppetry. I like the uh, comment that you've got here that... um, it states that herbivorous animals are not dangerous, even though things like buffalo and hippos are some of the most dangerous creatures on Earth. <laughs> and a funny coincidence that uh, possibly a bit of a tribute, Betty, uh, the character Betty, is captured by a ne- Neanderthal and taken to his cave while she's wearing a white dress and a pearl necklace. She is a redhead and looks suspiciously like Wilma Flintstone, star of the Flintstones, whose best friend is Betty. <laughs> the Flintstones came out one month after the movie was released in the US. <laughs> wow. Talk so about probably not enough time to change that. Uh, talk about coincidences. Yeah. And finally, after this uh, rather long episode, we have on the 10th of August, 1990, the Magellan space probe reaching Venus. Named after Ferdinand Magellan, the spacecraft finally reached Venus after launching in... Do we have the date there? No. Yes. Uh, launched in 1989. Took about 18 months to arrive at Venus. Funnily enough, it used a uh, radar to map the surface, running at 2.38 gigahertz, which is similar to the 2.4 gigahertz that Wi-Fi runs at. Also microwaves. Your microwave uh, oven, just to specify, because there's various uh, microwave frequencies, runs at 2.4 gigahertz. The uh, Venusian day lasts 243 Earth days, 
and that NASA believed that Magellan would be able to image 70% of the surface during one Venusian day. Can you imagine trying to sleep on a Venusian day? You wouldn't even get, be able to get sleep. Yeah, it would be like living in um, Antarctica, where uh, you have six months of sunlight and six months of darkness. So, uh, some interesting findings from Magellan was that there was no signs of plate tectonics, which implies that Venus has a solid core rather than a molten core like Earth. Um, but there were few impact craters, suggesting the surface was young. And they discovered lava channels, which, which means at some point in the recent past, uh, Venus did have an active core. My favorite little Venus tidbit is that um, up until not all that long ago, like you can find lots of sci-fi from the 60s that thought that Venus was a jungle planet because they saw the clouds and thought, gee, must be a wet place not realizing that the clouds were made of highly corrosive sulfuric acid. <laughs> but that is all we have for you today. Where can they find us, DJ? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that's not canon.com, where we have an archive of our old episodes. And they can also find some new That's Not Canon podcasts, such as Terror Australia. Uh, Isn't it Australis? Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. Yeah. Terra Australis. Australis. With terror as in, oh my God, that is terrifying, which is what I often say when I see DJ. <laughs> oh, oh I, I feel so I, I feel so hot now. <laughs> so uh, bas- so Terra terror Australis uh, basically is a true crime and conspiracy co- podcast hosted by Rachel M- Melva and Teresa Harriet. Filled with lots of sarcasm and good old Australian humour. Each week they'll dive into a true crime conversation from Australia or around the world. So grab a drink, some snacks, and join us for the best terror and joy-filled ride of your life. Sounds fun. But um, that's all for today. Look after yourself, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.